Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on trending. You know, someone wrote me over the week last week and they said, I've been receiving ads on YouTube about polyamory. A young woman was promoting this lifestyle. It was an advertisement aimed at young people who are encountering who are encountering difficulties in marriage. This actually made me laugh. This made me laugh. Who is spending money on YouTube to advertise to poor young people who are married? That they need to have polyamorous relationships. It, this is sad. Like, you've got to be wasting your time in life. What's sad is that, yes, some people actually go that way. So we're going to talk about whether or not polyamory will actually make you happy. I found it interesting. I've been watching videos and various interviews of people who live polyamorous lifestyles. So polyamory, because I know we have polygamy, polyamory, all of these different words. Polyamory is essentially where you're living in an open relationship, open marriage usually, and it's consensual. So your spouse knows and you can have as many partners as you want in addition to your actual spouse. So we'll talk about that in spicier news today during our weekly happy hour on trending. If you have a question about happiness, what's getting in the way of your happiness, we'd love to take it. Joining me in just a moment will be Father Robert Spitzer from the Magis Center and CredibleCatholic.com. He wrote a book called Finding True Happiness and he dives into the four levels of happiness. We'll talk about the highest form of happiness. How do you know that you're there and how do you stay there? Also, do you struggle with prayer? Have you ever wondered if you're in that season of prayer known as the dark night of the soul, or are you just being lazy in prayer and having a difficult time? We'll talk about that as well, as well as breaking down one of my favorite prayers, and that is the Hail Holy Queen prayer that we pray at the end of the rosary. And by the way, I just wanted to say thank you. I have been humbled and so excited over the last week because you have been a part of joining the Relevant Radio family here. As we were working on our fall pledge drive, we needed to raise $3 million. And if you donated or prayed for and with us last week, we surpassed our need. Our bare minimum need was $3 million to continue to operate the way we do. And put a little bit of money toward growing and you helped make that happen. Not only did we meet our need of $3 million, but we exceeded it. And I heard from our CEO, Father Rocky, and he emailed us early this morning and said, we are on an upward trajectory to increase our audience. We will be able to buy more radio stations and grow. So it's not too late to still be a part of the Relevant Radio family and support us here before the end of the year. You can donate online safely. It's tax deductible. Get that tax deductible donation in before the end of the year by calling 1-877-291-0123 or again, relevantradio.com 
or the relevant radio app. Joining me today on Trending during our weekly happy hour is Father Robert Spitzer. Father Robert Spitzer wrote a fantastic book a few years ago called Finding True Happiness, breaking down the four levels of happiness and how to be happy in life and understand what's getting in the way of it. We'll post a link on social media. Father Robert Spitzer's websites can be found at Magicenter and CredibleCatholic.com. He speaks to the reasonability of our faith and he's the president of the Magicenter and the Spitzer Center as well. So join me now with Father Robert Spitzer. We're diving into the highest form of happiness, which is one of four forms of happiness that he walks through. And we're going to talk about how to know if you're there and how to stay in that happy place in your day-to-day life. Father Spitzer, welcome to Trending. Oh, and it's great to be back with you, Timory. Let's go ahead and dive in. So you have these four levels of happiness, and you break them down, one kind of being that just immediate level of gratification, getting a little higher Mm -hmm. in the ladder, you start to compare yourself and your personal achievements Mm -hmm. to others. The third level is when you start to give of yourself, and you you start to be happier because you're giving. Um, It's more of a loving way rather than a, hey, I take, or I get what I want, or I Mm -hmm. chase things because other people have them. But then that highest form of happiness that you talk about, that ultimate good, is a transcendental place that (laughs) you don't need psychedelics to get there. Um, You don't need anything to enhance your body or surgery or anything, but it's a place that is uniting us to God. And I'd like to dwell on that highest form of happiness to talk about how we know when we're there and how to actually stay in that place. Because I find, Father, a lot of people are really striving in their faith, but then they go in and out of these seasons in life, and there's sometimes this difficulty of maintaining and sustaining where they're at. What's Mm -hmm. missing? What do we need? Yeah, well, the first thing is, is to recognize that God has made us for relationship with Him. And so if we ignore our uh, transcendent desires, if we ignore that need that he has built into us, right? As St. Augustine says, for thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So the idea is we can't be complete, we can't be happy, we can't have a fulfilled life, we can't reach our inherent dignity or our destiny, we can't get anywhere unless we are in relationship with God. We're built for him. It's not just eternal life, we're built for Him. And when we're separated from Him, we feel alienation. When we're separated from Him or violate His covenant or His commandments, we feel guilt. When we are separated from Him and we don't have Him in our lives, we feel this very bizarre sense of transcendent loneliness, just out of kilter with everything that is. Transcendent alienation, that's sometimes called angst, right? Where we're just sitting there in a state of angst or, or malaise. Uh, or even, you know, dread of death and so forth. All these things pop up in our lives if we're not praying, if we're not going to church, if we're not receiving the sacraments, right? If we're not taking, let's say, our transcendent life seriously. What's so interesting is this is not just a contention of, you know, people who are religious believers. The American Psychiatric Association, a study I've talked about before, I think, on your program, they did a big study a while back 
uh, with this um, uh, psychiatrist, Kanita Dervik, and 10 other authors did a really comprehensive longitudinal study. And in it, they found that when people are non-religiously affiliated, as you say, they don't have a church, they don't have religion, they don't have prayer in their lives, they're basically living like functional agnostics or atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when you compare them to the religiously affiliated people, these non-religiously affiliated people have significantly, we're talking doubling and tripling of, um, of rates of uh, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, uh, familial tensions, suicidal ideations, and suicides themselves. So um, what you're, you're dealing with is like these people are not happy. <clears throat> In other words, we can see at fourth level of happiness this built-in relationship with God. God made us for himself. God made us to be fulfilled by his infinite self, his all-loving self, his all-good self, his all-true self, right? He, He made us to be fulfilled with nothing less than his infinity, eternity, and perfection in truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home. So if we're not there... Uh, If we're trying to get that happiness out of this world, we won't. And you can expect to find what this American Psychiatric Association found, doublings and triplings of, you know, suicides, suicidal ideation, um, you know, and uh, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, familial tensions, etc. So that's the baseline level. We can't be happy without God. And what do you need if you're going to be in relationship with God? Well, you, it's, it's more than just, uh, well, I believe in you, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good start, <clears throat> you know, to believe in God. Uh, but it's also, we have to take it seriously enough so that we are starting to look for, what, well, what is the truth of God? Who is he in his heart? And he's going to have to reveal that to us. He's going to have to show us what his heart is. Of course, we can prove the existence of God uh, through um, philosophical proofs, or you can get uh, really significant evidence uh, for the existence of an intelligent creator from science, etc. So there's lots of things science and philosophy can do, but the science and philosophy can tell you the what of God, the existence of God, the existence of a transphysical soul, the existence of an afterlife, but can't tell you who God is in his heart. And so we need religion. And of course, I'm going to skip a whole long uh, series of <laughs> thoughts here, but basically we got to find a church, an official place where we can get the revelation of God. And why not start with Jesus Christ? Why not start with the one for whom we have really significant evidence of his glorious resurrection, of his miracles by his own authority, of of his transformation of the world in in creating a church that has become right by far the largest um, education provider, uh, health care provider, public welfare provider in the world by far. I mean, we're talking about 25% of what's going on in education is provided by the Catholic Church. 26% of what's going on in public health care and, and, and hospitals is provided by the Catholic Church. Public you know, welfare organizations, from orphanages you know, to taking care 
of um, you know widows, orphans, etc., across the world, giving the necessities of life when in real dis- destitute situations. I mean, this is huge numbers of of you know um, uh, services are offered by the Catholic Church. You look at that, and all I can say is. All over the place, what you see is Jesus Christ. What you see is his notion of love. And, of course, what's the Church of Jesus Christ? The Catholic Church. So I'm just going to skip the whole, uh, you know, realm of justification of why the Catholic Church is the definitive rev- uh, has within itself the definitive revelation of Jesus, which is the definitive revelation of God himself. If we take that for granted, then if we want to basically get you know ourselves connected with God if we want to get out of that realm of emptiness loneliness alienation right if we want to get out of the realm of depression anxiety and, and uh, suicidal ideation suicides substance abuse familial tensions etc uh, if we're going to get out of it what do we got to do well believe in God is great but you also have to believe in Jesus Christ that he has the way, the truth, and the life to salvation. What right. he's saying is important. And right, agnosticism isn't enough. And I think that's sometimes what's difficult is people say, okay, you know, I grew up with God, I know he's important. You know, Maybe I go to church, maybe I don't. Or, hey, it's just me and Jesus, I can pray. But you're, it sounds like what you're saying is this balance of what we understand, especially as Catholics, of faith and works and a deep prayerful faith, a sacramental faith. That's exactly right. And three things are going to be required if we want a relationship with God. The first thing is, you know, we've got to enter into the church and take that sacramental life, especially the Holy Eucharist and um, Reconciliation Confession, really seriously. If we do that, that's a really good first step to that relationship, and it's going to fill us with the grace of Christ, both in that reconciling event, as fill us with the Holy Spirit, um, through our baptism and, and, and through, of course, uh, fill us with the, the presence of Jesus Christ himself in the Holy Eucharist. The second thing that's really important, as you already said, is to get a prayer life going. It's one thing to be, you know, in, the, in a relationship with the Lord through the sacraments, but we should, if we have adoration in our parishes, go to that adoration, make an attempt. If that's not convenient, if you can't do it, you know, then find a time when you can get to a holy place. Well, if you can't get to your church on a daily basis, then find a place in your house where you can just sort of take out the scriptures, the New Testament for the day, or just mm-hmm. subscribe to the Magnificat or something else where you can actually get some of these meditations to get some of these scripture passages for today's Mass and and other kinds of things which can become the fulcrum of your prayer. And then you're given some of the Psalms in the office as well. That's a good little prayer book, that Magnificat. And if we just take that up and we decide it, you know, decide we're going to do this, but we're going to keep Jesus' name in mind so that when we're saying Jesus or we're saying Heavenly Father or we're saying Holy Spirit, we're talking to them. They are present. We're actually praying those prayers to them, and, and they're kind of, we're connecting with them, and that's the key thing. It's not so much the content of the prayer sometimes. We, we kind of get ourselves in thinking, i got to figure out this Scripture passage. No, the, the idea of praying from Scripture is not to figure out the passage. 
the, 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 is what is Jesus telling me in this passage and connecting with Jesus when I'm reading the passage or when I'm doing those psalms or doing those prayers that I'm connecting with God. I know he's here. I know he's present. I know he's listening to me. And then I'm connecting. Every, so when I just say, glory be to the Father, I always say, glory be to you, Heavenly Father. And glory be to you, Lord Jesus, who are here right with me. And glory be to you, Holy Spirit, who are here. When I'm saying, Hail Mary, full of grace, I'm saying, Hail Mary, you're here, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. I'm speaking that to her and loving her and admiring her. And in the same way, when I'm saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, the same thing is to, that real connection with the three persons and with Mary in the actual prayer itself <clears throat> is really really important. Amen. So, and I appreciate that too. That. We're going to talk about the Hail Holy Queen prayer later and breaking down some of the details of it. And especially as Catholics, we're criticized, Father, for kind of having this like momentum to prayer. We just repeat the same memorized prayers over and over again. But you're emphasizing through meditation, through actually speaking it and meaning it. We are affecting a change in our lives uh, in conformity to Christ, but also the intercession of the saints. It's a both end, right? Grace from God through the intercession of the saints, and at the same time, us participating in that conformity into his image. Absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting is a repetitive prayer is not bad at all when you're connecting with the divine person to whom you're talking to. I mean, the glory be is such a great prayer because you're connecting right there with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit again and again. And it's that connection. It's hard for us <clears throat> to maintain a, a, a real connection with God unless God is going to come to us and <clears throat> give us what is called spiritual consolation. But if we're not in that really, you know, God taking charge and giving us that extraordinary consolation, then to connect again and again and again in a repetitive prayer is a pretty good deal. For me, I've got that short burst of concentrating on who I'm connecting with, the lovability of the one I'm connecting with, the one I'm so grateful to for guiding me in my life and protecting me, inspiring me, right? And I'm connecting with that person. What does it matter if I do it again and again and again and again? Those divine names that I'm pronouncing, those petitions I'm making of the Father, they're fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And so I would say nothing wrong with, um, you know, uh, repetitive prayer because what's really important is the connection. When you connect with them and you talk about the fact that you're thankful to them and you love them, then you are inviting them into you and believe me, they come into yes. you and your yes. faith grows stronger. Praise God. That's Father Robert Spitzer. We're going to come back talking to him about prayer in the dark night of the soul. Am I just being lazy? Am I not receiving consolation? If you have a question on happiness or prayer, go ahead and give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. Will being polyamorous make you happy? Hey, you're married, you're a little unhappy a few years into that marriage, and suddenly you think, you know what, maybe I just need an open marriage. Maybe I'm really a lesbian and my husband should just be free to have as many partners as he pleases. Will that make you happy? Well, this is actually being advertised to people on YouTube now. Who pays for this? We'll talk about whether or not 
polyamory, polygamy actually makes us happy, and just how outlandish some of this is, and just the natural instincts and reaction that comes with it, and how this speaks volumes to intact marriages and the sacrament of matrimony and the actual vows that we make. So stay with me, especially if maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you hear some of those arguments about setting the other person free while still remaining married. Joining me now is Father Robert Spitzer during our weekly happy hour. We've been talking about how to be happy and I want to dive into the topic of the dark night of the soul. Um, We hear about people, saints, particularly 21st century saints, such as St. Mother Teresa, experiencing this. Father Robert Spitzer is the president of the Magis Center and the Spitzer Center, and he speaks to the reasonability of our faith. He has free online articles and learning modules to dive deeper into your faith for free. They're incredible. I love them at CredibleCatholic.com. I'll post a link on social media at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we've tagged Father Spitzer and his work as well. But Father, can you explain to us what the dark night of the soul is, and then we can maybe start to talk about the differences between laziness and prayer, and then what happens when you're in that dark night, and how you move through it. Yeah, in order to start, why don't we just begin with the difference between affective consolation and affective desolation. Now, most of us don't really have a sense of you know, a, a lot of the time of, you know, when, you know, that sense of God's presence being near us or, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, so we, we, we kind of go through life and we think, well, you know, I know God is around I, or I can sense the fact that I'm being guided by the non-coincidences that are taking place. But, uh, you know, affective means felt. So you feel God's presence or you feel that God is not there. You feel what um, the saints would call a sort of darkness, transcendent loneliness or alienation, that, you know, you're kind of left all alone, versus, you know, that sense of consolation where you feel at least at peace, you feel secure, you don't feel like you're unmoored, you don't feel like you're in a, in a sort of a malaise or a meaninglessness or an alienation or an emptiness. So that, that consolation, you know, can be very intense sometimes, or you can be overwhelmed by love and by joy and by peace. Certainly that has happened to me in prayer uh, many, many times, but most of the time I'm not, you know, in that kind of um, what we might call an ecstatic joy or, you know, profound uh, harmony with everything, a unity with everything um, that, the, uh, that, you know, can happen for temporary periods of time. But the main thing is, you know, if we were in that, you know, in that uh, state, we, we wouldn't be doing much. We'd be enjoying God, period, and and sitting back. And of course, as Teresa of Avila, you know, said, it's really hard. You're just wandering around as if, you know, in almost a, you know, a, a complete stupefied state of ecstasy, and and you, you you really can't do much. But the main thing is, oh, it exists on an intense level. But God is not doing that all the time. But he does do it occasionally. He's letting you know he's there. Sometimes you're just reading a passage of Scripture. Sometimes you're just at Mass. And all of a sudden you feel like you're being just absorbed right into, uh, you know, the, the fullness of of God's love and peace. And it happens for, a, a, you know, a split second, what C.S. Lewis we call stabs of joy, right? <clears throat> and then you're kind of out of the whole unity with everything, you're out of the stab of intense joy and uh, a sense of uh, God's loving presence, and you're back to normal. Well, you can have the opposite thing, which we'll call spiritual 
uh, or affective desolation. And affective desolation basically means you've got that sense of foreboding. You've got a sense of emptiness. You have a sense of, uh, you know, uh, God's absence, right? You, you feel terribly alone in a way. Uh, and, and if you're kind of a person of prayer and, 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 and the sacraments, you don't feel terribly alone all the time. Uh, but, uh, you know, definitely if, if you're kind of trying to live a good life, a good moral life, you're trying to keep your sacramental life up, you're trying to keep your prayer life up, and you're, you know, um, which is, you know, um, why would you feel desolation? Most of the time we feel desolation because we're not keeping our moral life, our prayer life, or our sacramental life, or some combination thereof up. So God's kind of pulling us into, he's trying to say, you know, hey, Spitzer, you know, you, 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 you are getting uh, a little bit lazy here. You know, pull back and start coming back to prayer. Or Spitzer, you know, um, listen, you, you've been being more impatient with people of late, you know, and you're going to get yourself into a good, uh, you know, throbbing of desolation there where he's calling you through the desolation to come back, um, you know, to that moral life, that, that life of trying to be good and, 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 and uh, you know, loving and obedient to his commandments. Now, the main thing is that's normal. Now, let's say your mother, Teresa, and let's say you are definitely following the moral code. You're definitely following the sacramental and prayer code, right? There's no calling back to get back on the path, to get back on the, uh, the, the, the tracks, right? You are on the tracks, and you're on the tracks in a, a very profound way. Now, all of a sudden, you start feeling this affective desolation, like God is not there. What is he doing it's obviously Mother Teresa doesn't need a corrective, but he is purifying her. And, um, uh, you know, the expectation is when those kinds of moments happen and you get into those moments of purification, God is trying to wean us off of the consolation. Uh, and he's trying to get us to offer up what we're feeling for the whole rest of the churches, Mother Teresa says, "Boy, you know, you start feeling that desolation, and you're doing everything right, and and you know, you know, serving the poor at this, you know, magnanimous level. You know, what's going on?" And she says, "You know, in in many ways, in her diary, you have to read between the lines because it's not just stated in the Spitzerian one, two, three. But here's what I glean from that: Number one, she believes that this is a real chance." for her to offer up that suffering for all the people that she is serving. <coughs> all the people, you know, whom she's seeing, you know, the light of Christ in their eyes and serving them. She offers the pain for them. She offers the pain for the conversion of the world. She offers the pain for the, uh, the um, uh, you know, souls in purgatory, etc. So she is definitely, you know, doing the self-offering of Therese of Lisieux, who she followed assiduously, right? So she, you know, even though, um, you know, Teresa of Avila was named after St. Teresa of, I mean, um, uh, Mother Teresa was named after St. Teresa of Avila, she definitely, it was Therese of Lisieux who was her example. And so she's trying to follow him and, of course, uh, follow her. And Therese of Lisieux did have those terrible moments of real purification and, and uh, real self-offering. And in fact, you can see how powerful St. Therese of Lisieux's prayers were, because remember when the criminal is coming to the scaffold, right, and he's uh, going to be beheaded, 
uh, for, you know, being a mass murderer. And Therese of Lisieux just said, you know, Lord, I'm just offering up everything. You know, just get him to convert, you know, before he dies on the scaffold. And, of course, he walks up there, and what does he do? The priest is there to offer him the final blessing and reconciliation, and he go, takes the crucifix right out of the priest's hands, kisses it, gets reconciliation, and then he's beheaded. And then you look at that and you go, how could a mass murderer, you know, do this? Well, that's the, the off, self-offering. So that's number one. Number two, the second thing is, it is the last bit of purification. And pride is the last thing to go, because it is so deep in us. And the more gifted we are and the more things that we have to give, right, oh, we hang on to that pride. We, we you know, and, and Therese, uh, Teresa of Avila and Therese of Lisieux, and um, as well as Mother Teresa, all of them, who went through this dark night of the soul, right? John of the Cross, all of them said, it's right out of, you know, um, the second letter to the Corinthians chapter 12. I was given a thorn in the flesh, an angel of Satan to keep me from getting proud. Here's St. Paul. This is like several years after his conversion. And still, he needs a thorn in the flesh. He needs to go blind, which is what I think is thrown in the place. He needs suffering in order to keep himself from getting... Well, he said it. That's what he's saying. I fear one thing more than anything else. I fear my pride. I fear my sense of self-sufficiency. I fear my desire to be better than others or my, my belief that I'm better than others. I fear it because Christ's light dies within me, and I don't want that death. I would take the thorn in the flesh. I'll take the suffering. I'll take the dark night of the soul. I'll take it in order to get out of this worse condition, this pride, this arrogance, and I can't detach myself from so hard to detach myself from it. Can you imagine being St. Paul? I mean, gosh, here's a guy with this immense talent in every way. And, of course, he starts going blind. And, and, uh, you know, talk about a dark night. You know, he's a very active person, so the dark night of the soul is probably not going to be the tactic that the Lord uses with St. Paul. He's going to use another tactic. And, of course, that's why he's writing in the letter to the Galatians, I know you'd tear out your own eyes and give them to me if you could. What is that? Or when he calls the high priest in the act of the apostles, you know, whitewashed wall. Hey, what do you want of me, you whitewashed wall? And the attendant says, whitewashed wall, is that any way to talk to the high priest? Paul goes, oh, excuse me, sir, didn't know you were the high priest. And no, Paul is a Pharisee of the highest order. He would recognize a, a high priest at 500 yards. I mean, uh, how come he can't recognize him when he's right in front of him? He's going blind. And, of course, it's another kind of dark night. And so the contemplative life, most of the time when we experience a dark night, in other words, God's not calling us back on the track, right? He's not trying to say, hey, you know, um, you know you're up to something here. Um, you know, uh, you know, get back on the track. Then normally uh, he's going to use some tactic to release us from our pride, to release us from our vanity. He's going to use some kind of a tactic, and suffering is the best tactic. It's Mm -hmm. the best way to go, whatever it may be, an interior spiritual dimension, Mm -hmm. etc. There's a third reason, too, for the 
uh, the the um, um, uh, purification, and that is to wean us off of actual consolation itself. So the final purification is so that we're not going to be right, um, you know, dependent on God coming to us every five and a half seconds and giving us a spiritual consolation. We're not following Him for the consolation. We're follow- following Him <coughs> because He's God, because He loves us, <coughs> because He's rescued us, because He's given Himself totally to us. We want to be thankful. We want to connect with Him. We want to give ourselves to Him, regardless of whether there's consolation present or not. We want to give ourselves to Him because He is God who loves us, who we are thankful for, who we are repentant toward. Right? He is Amen. the God of Amen. gods. And so it gets us away from expecting, as it were, the immediate reward. There's one caution. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Go ahead. What's the caution? Yeah, the one question I make is this. You know, some people have uh, what we'll call natural depression, and, and that depression is not related to the spiritual life. So it's not God calling us to get back on the tracks. It's not the dark night of the soul where God is guiding us through those three things, um, that are the benefits of the dark night. What is instead, it's just a depression that comes. Maybe there, we have some chemical imbalances in our brain. And so we have to, you know, as, as St. Ignatius of Loyola would always tell us, look for the natural causes first. Don't be seeing, you know, spiritual desolation or an effective desolation. Don't see that first spiritually. Right. Check you could just three be tired. things first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you could be yep. tired. Right. You could Chronic also exhaustion. be having a tough time. You know, maybe your job's in jeopardy, jeopardy yes. or something, yeah. or your kid Long is getting stress. into trouble, mm-hmm. or you've got something going back a little bit. Right. You know, you suppressed a terrible incident that happened in your past life, PTSD kind of thing, mm-hmm. or could just be some chemical imbalances. So always check those four natural causes first. Mm-hmm. Then, if that's not really applicable, you know, then go to, well, okay, um, where are you calling me to, Lord? Yeah. <laughs> where am I? Yeah. You know, there's a question that came yeah. in at, that really sure. sparked part of this conversation, Father Spitzer. Sure. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timurie here on Relevant Radio. That's Father Robert Spitzer, mm-hmm. the president of the Magis Center and Spitzer Center. Uh, Father Spitzer, the question comes on Facebook from Suzanne. She's a young-ish mom, she said, and she said, I'm wondering if I'm lazy or if I'm in the dark night. She said, you know, giving kind of a little bit of a synopsis, she gives that to-do list that she's doing. She said, you know, I see uh-huh. that everything comes from God as a reasonable gift. She said, I'm not struggling with any mortal sin. I try to go to daily yeah. mass. I pray my daily rosary. I pray morning and night prayer. Mm-hmm. I go to monthly confession-ish, and she said, and there's just mm-hmm. this numbness. Uh, that's there that, you know, I'm not miserable at all, but I'm going through the motions and I want to make sure it's not become motions and I want to make sure I'm not being lazy and not doing enough as well. Yeah. Well, I would say just two quick things to check out. First thing is this. Check out whether you're really making a, trying and, you know, to make a connection with God in prayer. So when you say that glory be to, you know, to the Father, it's not just the Father. It's glory be to you, Heavenly Father, who's created me and created my soul and given me everything, you know, whom I love, you know, who you gave your son to sacrifice himself for me. And glory be to you, Lord Jesus, who, you know, sacrificed yourself for me in the past, came to be with us, right? Make sure 
number one, that you are really connecting with that real person. It's so easy sometimes, you know, to just get the words are just kind of rolling over our heads. And especially when there's something, you know, some kind of a stress or a tiredness or something that's over, it's easy for the words Mm -hmm. to just flow where you just don't take the time uh, to connect. But I would just say the first thing is, you know, you could go to an app, you know, that were, you know, they, they like sing the hours or something. And, you know, you could just be going through the office and he, that those, that fellow is singing it to you, right? And so you can concentrate on those words and concentrate on giving that psalm prayer that's being sung over to God. And just try that first and make sure that you've got that connection going. The second thing is, is if you really do have the connection going, you're really concentrating on that, not letting the words just flow over you. The second thing to take a look at is, where are you? Okay, you know, she's saying in her moral life, there's there's no um, real difficulty there. Just check this one thing out called the angel of light problem. Sometimes um, the evil spirit can come seeming or appearing like an angel of light. And what he does is he tries to make suggestions. So he says, now, Spitzer, uh, you know, you're very good at doing these, um, you know, some of these virtues. And, you know, if you had any salt in you at all, you'd just master all the virtues. You'd overcome all those seven (laughs) deadly sins by next week, you know. And by the way, my will is harder, faster, better, more. I'm the dissatisfied God who's sitting up there, and you're not doing enough. And all I can tell you is, you ought to get with the program. Look at you, you little wimp. Now, if you hear that kind of a voice that's kind of making these demands of you, not just in your moral life, but in your prayer life, and you're getting these words like harder, faster, better, more, etc., that are coming in at you, that's not the Lord's voice. That is the evil spirit's voice trying to pretend like he's the Lord so that he can get you good and discouraged. I've done all of these things, and all I'm getting, you know, is harder, faster, better, more. I don't think I can possibly keep up. The Lord is an ogre. He's asking too much of me. And so all of a sudden, that discouragement can come over you, and it's a spiritual discouragement. But make sure then, if you don't have a spiritual director, find a wise one who can help you discern. Yes. And I have a question on the second one before we jump to the third. Um, Could this have to do with even that virtue of peace where you have, okay, maybe you are, you know, you are being really, really intentional with your prayers. You're not just letting the words flow over you, like you said, uh, but maybe, you know, there's this back and forth, as you mentioned, the angel of light problem, suggestions of pride, you know, do more, do more, harder, faster, better. Um, Could that be... If you're not struggling with that, that would be a sign of the virtue of peace. But if you are struggling with that, uh, allowing your heart to, in your soul and your body to just rest in peace with, Lord, I'm doing this. I'm with you and you are with me and that's enough. Does peace play a part in here? Yes, it sure does. And that's a very good clue. See, there's two things. You've got to split it up. The first one, of course, is the feeling of peace 
where you say, I feel a great harmony with the world, okay, something like that. And that's, that's very legitimate. That could really happen. So you could have a feeling of peace. But then sometimes you say, I don't have any such feeling. And I don't have any feelings of joy. I don't have any feelings of real love and you know, that spark of love, etc. But wait a minute. Just ask yourself the negative, negative question. In other words, <clears throat> are you still, do you have a sense that, you know, everything's going to be okay? Uh, do you have a sense that God is still in your life? He's still taking care of things? Uh, do you have this sense that, you know, you're not alone? I don't feel God, but I'm not alone either. I, I know he's here. I know he's up to his usual guidance, inspiration, and protection of me. And I know he's doing these things. Sometimes I don't feel them, but I know just by the absence of, you know, the what I would call the desolation, right? that would be the darkness, the confusion, the emptiness, the loneliness. I feel an absence of that. I, I mean, I don't um, feel that, uh, that desolation. So that absence of that felt desolation, that's also a sense of peace, where God is just keeping me, as it were, above the water, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not feeling alienation, but I don't feel a great harmony with the world. I'm not feeling a sense of emptiness and, and, and a, you know, a terrible sense of foreboding or, or, you know, a dread of death or, you know, etc. I'm not feeling that, but at the same time, I'm not feeling also, um, you know, like, uh, uh, like the great love of God is, you know, in me. I'm not feeling a, a tremendous sense of joy and consolation, but on the other hand, I'm not feeling the opposite desolation, um, you know, that might accompany it, like uh, feeling a sense of evil or the sense of the emptiness of evil itself, the vapid eyes, as it were. I'm not feeling that. So God's keeping me, as it were, afloat. But, uh, you know, um, um, at the same time, I'm not feeling anything that's like a positive felt uh, consolation. In that case, yes, I would say that you're not in the dark night. When you're in the dark night, it, what you're feeling is, oh, darkness, emptiness, alienation, right? Much like, as you point out with Mother Teresa there in her diaries, she's feeling some real negativos. So, but she's on the right moral path, etc. Then once you start feeling that, then you know that you are definitely in the dark night. So you have, you know, you're really... Uh, you know, um, you know, doing a Mother Teresa thing. You're you're throwing yourself out for the love of the world. You're trying to follow Christ with an unreserved uh, heart, etc. And all of these things are present um, uh, to you. But at the same time, uh, you uh, are feeling this real darkness, desolation, alienation, emptiness, and loneliness. Then look for purification. Look for you know a chance to offer up the suffering. Look for a chance to to really get closer to God without consolation. That's Father Robert Spitzer here on Trending with Tim Ray. Father, as always, thank you so much. Check out his free online articles and learning modules at CredibleCatholic.com. That's CredibleCatholic.com. Post a link on social media. We'll be right back here on Trending. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149.
single being polyamorous make you happy? We're going to talk about that. I really wanted to unpack the Hail Holy Queen prayer today, which there's just not enough time. So stay with me. If you love that prayer or have never prayed it before, I'm going to break down some of the theology of it, helping us to understand what we're praying, why we're praying it, and how we can unite ourselves and actually mean what we're praying in that prayer. But I want to answer the question on happiness and polyamory. So John sent me an email this last week and he said that he's been receiving YouTube advertisements that have been popping up about polyamory and how this young woman in these ads has been promoting the lifestyle and it was an advertisement specifically aimed at young people who are encountering difficulties in their marriage. So I have over the last few years been mildly entertained and morbidly disgusted by some of the content out there with regard to open marriages and polyamory. So polyamory would basically be classified as, okay, we're in a marriage. Um, we're not going to marry multiple people, but you know, I'm perfectly okay with ethical and consensual open relationships. So you can have your boyfriends, you can have your girlfriends, whatever you want. I was watching this NBC interview actually about it and my jaw, again, it scandalizes me, but my jaw also drops because it's just crazy to me that these people are making it very clear. There are red flags, like just blaring in their face. There are these emotional reactions and discomfort and they try to push past them and sometimes they do and the fun of it makes them okay sometimes with what they're doing. But so many of the stories speak to the reality of what the Catholic Church teaches with marriage and the vows that we make and how important it is that we understand those vows. So I was watching one interview in particular today about this polyamorous couple. They've been married about 10 years now and four years into their marriage they decided they wanted to open up their relationship. This happened per the wife's suggestion. Now by the way I find it really interesting and a lot of this kind of younger trend toward polyamorous relationships it's often at the recommendation of the wife that the couple opens up their relationship, opens up their marriage, to so-called freedom. There are a lot of examples of this, I would say, in mainstream Hollywood, but even in families where I'm actually hearing that this is happening. So I do find that an interesting note, and I will comment one side note, and I know I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm already in trouble on social media right now. Some people are really upset on Instagram because last week we talked about daycare and the impact on children with this incredible psychoanalyst, a psychologist, and it's a tough lesson to learn, but it kind of comes back to that whole conversation. I hope you listen to the podcast. It's a title, Building Resilient Children. Um, but here's the deal. I think that a lot of this dissatisfaction that women are experiencing within their marriages and their desire to experiment and stay married but open up the marriage speaks, one, to the consistency they desire and commitment and love and to have a prize of place with their husband. But I think the experimentation that really does go against the nature of women, I think it's a little stronger, a little more likely that men historically and in human nature would be are more predisposed to multiple partners. I think why women are asking for open relationships today is because women are so numb from how much they are doing. And when I say that, being pulled in so many directions, this pressure to work full time, to have a family full-time, be the best and perfect possible mom, um, to have the perfect child. And the reality is, is you can't. 
kids need their parents and they need their parents around and women are getting tired and they want to feel wooed and loved and have those extra feelings and as they're trying to do it all spinning plates full-time job taking care of kids all these different things it is leading them to absolutely burn out and so i think this is why that dissatisfaction is coming from women which is a whole nother conversation in and of itself but i want to share with you a little bit about this particular couple that was watching in their nbc interview so it's the wife who suggests the open relationship and the husband starts talking about like oh, okay honey kind of this attitude where the husband will say okay if this is really what you want because he wants his wife and he wants his wife happy but he doesn't necessarily want that but he's willing to go there with her i even think of uh, the celebrity and professional dancer julianne huff this happened with her marriage as well uh, this has happened with will smith and others so what ends up happening is the husband says, okay, and he talks about the first time he sees his wife, for example, posting on f social media on Facebook about her partner and how she was in love with another woman. And he talked about how he had this like gut reaction when he saw that social media post of, ugh, and he said, I needed a drink. Like he was trying to uh, treat the discomfort and the, just the gut punch that he got. He even talked about one time when he was walking uh, and he was with his wife and her latest partner at the time and how this man because by the way the the wife is swinging both ways being bisexual with men and women additional partners and so he's hanging out with his wife and his wife's current extra partner and the wife and the partner walk in front of them and they start holding hands and he said I had this just knee-jerk reaction that was so upsetting like that's another man holding my wife's hand but then he goes on to say, well, happiness doesn't necessarily have to be with me. And how he kept trying to talk himself out of what was a very normal, natural instinct and desire to have exclusive romantic relationship with his wife. You know, it's interesting because there's a book out there called, sorry, PG words here for a second, but like The Ethical Slut. And it's normalizing uh, this idea of polyamory, how it's quote unquote ethical and consensual. And it's not just the hippies that are doing it now, but statistically we're seeing more and more young people are turning to this. And even the wife who wanted this open relationship talks about one of the times her husband left to go visit a partner with another partner and how she was having to do quote unquote her yoga and use her healing crystals because she said, I just wanted to cry because I was so afraid he wouldn't love me anymore, that I wouldn't be his everything. This is the reality of polyamorous relationships. No matter how hard you try to set people free, even that phrase that I hear people say, well, when you love someone, you set them free. Yes, but freedom has boundaries. You know, this poll that came out in 2014, almost 10 years ago, shows that 4 to 5% of Americans report being polyamorous, according to the International Association for Relationships Research. Whatever that means, right? Like, okay, so it's on the rise. It's not just the hippies doing it. It's a growing number of young people. But compare this idea of when, love, when you love someone, you set them free, to the Catholic Church's understanding of the vows we take in marriage. That when we enter into marriage, when we say those vows, we come here freely, freely giving ourselves to a commitment. So the freedom comes by freely choosing the commitment. That we then give ourselves totally to our spouse, in totality, not sharing. That we give ourselves faithfully to our spouse, 
and fruitfully. That through those, yes, difficult commitments of giving our freedom into a commitment to stay, to be totally given, and to be faithful and then fruitful, open to children, that we're actually committing to what is a blueprint of the human person. What I think clearly shows in even these quote-unquote fun stories of polyamory that people aren't actually that happy creating this newfound idea of freedom when historically freedom has always been a part of commitment but we freely choose that commitment which is what God gave to us. This is Timmy from Trending with Timmy. We live in a time where many people are struggling with an existential crisis better known in our current culture as an identity crisis, how we identify. Tuesday on Trending, we're going to talk about what science, faith, and philosophy have to say about identity and how we can be more confident and comfortable in our identity and help others. So join me Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.